You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com. I'd be listening to the mainstream media and just be left frustrated on how they covered these stories. They would completely ignore facts just to promote their own agenda. I said, man, I could do a better job than these fools. I should start my own show. So I did. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to a brand new episode of Freedom Strips. I'm your host, Keaton Tucker, and I am here to discuss the Democratic debates that just went on this past... uh, Well, I am recording this on June 29th, so it was the um, 26th and 27th, as you can see here on my overlay. Um, By the way, I'm doing this uh, for the uh, audio listeners. I'm doing this in video format now. Um, I'm, I'm dipping my toes in the water on the video format, so I'm going to see if I can get, uh, this will be on, on our Facebook page, but I am going to eventually get a, um, YouTube page, uh, put up, but what I need to do is I need to gather all my, uh, old episodes and just kind of put like a overlay on top of those since I didn't do any video format for those before. Um, so I am going to eventually, um, get that one, uh, good and going, but thank you for joining me. Um, this is episode number 22 and boy, do we have a lot to go over. Um, I did watch both debates. I did watch both nights. Um, this was the wild thing is they had to have two nights because they had, um, I, I believe it was 20 to 22 candidates somewhere around there. Um, actually I can two, four, six, eight, 10, 12, 14, 16, 18. Okay. So they did have 20 tonight. I know a couple didn't actually get the uh, qualifications to make it to the debate stage. So that's why there's only 20 here, but there are more. Um, so we had 20, 20 candidates. They said, uh, let's split it into two nights, do it two different nights. And so here we are. I did watch both. Um, it was about as uneventful as I expected. Um, and then again, it did surprise me in, in several different ways, not from like, uh, a, a perspective of like, Oh, I, I never thought that they would, uh, have that perspective because every perspective that you thought they would have, they had throughout this debate, but from the, from the ways of, uh, I, I don't know. It's very entertaining. We'll kind of go over it here in a little bit. Uh, anyway, like I said, they were, um, broken into two different groups. Um, the, the first group went on the 26th, the second on the 27th, and it was very much broken into, uh, a top tier, lower tier group. I don't think they did that. They, they, they're claiming they're not doing that on purpose, but it, it's pretty clear. They had all the heavy hitters on the 27th. Uh, on that Thursday debate, whereas the day before, um, I think the only big name in that debate was Elizabeth Warren. Um, and I think she's currently polling at like number three or something like that behind Sanders and, uh, and Biden. Um, so on Wednesday night, these were the candidates. They had, uh, Senator Cory Booker, um, Julian Castro, which was Obama's housing and urban development secretary. They had New York Mayor Bill de Blasio, um, a.k.a. Groundhog Killer, <laughs> former repre- or, uh, former Representative John Delaney, Representative Tulsi Gabbard of Hawaii, uh, Washington Governor Jay Inslee, Senator Klo- Amy Klobuchar of Minnesota, um, former Representative uh, Beto O'Rourke. Uh, they had Tim Ryan from Ohio and, of course, Pocahontas herself. Senator Elizabeth Warren of Massachusetts. Um, 
that was the first group. So obviously the names that stand out there are Warren, um, Cory Booker and Beto. Uh, those are like your top three big hitters in that group, which are not very big hitters aside from Warren and her polling data. Thursday night was the big one though. Uh, they had, uh, Joe Biden, Senator Michael Bennett, um, mayor Pete Buttigieg, Buttigieg, I think it's Buttigieg. I've seen people just absolutely butcher his name. So I'm sure I'm doing it wrong too. I've, I've heard it said so many different ways that I don't even know the right pronunciation of it. So whatever. Kirsten Gillibrand, Kamala Harris, um, John Hickenlooper, Senator Bernie Sanders, uh, Eric Swalwell. God, I hate that guy. He's like legitimately like a Ken doll reincarnate. Um, just plastic and all. He's just like a life-size Ken doll that wants to take guns. Um, Marianne Williamson. Apparently, apparently she's an author. I've never heard of this lady in my entire life, but she was pretty hilarious throughout the debate. Um, and of course, uh, my favorite of the bunch in that night, uh, entrepreneur Andrew Yang. So, uh, my, my general feelings about the two debates as we get to, um, before we start to break this down, um, most of the debate was very boring. Um, not a lot of new, interesting ideas, mostly because the people with that did have interesting and unique ideas didn't get to talk. Um, and that was because the, the, the way that this was moderated and put on by MSNBC was absolute garbage. It was trash the, these guys did a horrible job moderating and, and they even had awful technical, uh, problems throughout the debates, um, which we'll get to, uh, this first one here. They actually had, um, mics on other people. I believe it was like in their control room that they didn't turn off. And it was like, it was going on in the middle of them asking questions, um, to the candidates and it was all very distracting. And it was just, it was about as well done as you would think that MSNBC could pull something off, which wasn't very well done at all. So let's take a look at this here. All right. Here's the uh, technical difficulties that, uh, happened in the middle of the debate. If we're going to go with guns, and Senator Warren, I want to start with you. We are less than 50 miles from Parkland, Florida, where 17 people were killed in a school shooting last year, and where there has been significant activism on gun violence ever since. Many of you are calling for a restoration of an assault weapons ban, but even if implemented, there will still be hundreds of millions of guns in this country. Should there be a role for the federal government? Uh, everybody's mics are on. I, I think we have a... I heard that too. That's okay. I think we had a little mic issue in the back. Control room. We've got. We have the. I think audio. we heard. Yeah, we have the audience audio. All right. So the question is simply this: Sorry. We're talking. We're from. I apologize. You guys didn't get to hear this. Uh, the first. It's part getting of the worse now. There's feedback. Parkland, Florida. Oh my God. Uh, gun activism has become uh, a big part of high school life up yeah. there in Broward County. Many of you are calling for tighter gun restrictions. Some of you are calling for the restoration of the assault weapons ban. But even if it's put in place, there's still going to be listen. perhaps hundreds of millions of guns still on the streets. Is there a role for the federal government in order to play in order to get these guns off the streets? <laughs> Some lady is like, I need to find my binder. Can someone help me find my binder? I was like, oh, my God, somebody help that poor lady find her binder. 
obviously the candidates are, are some are laughing because Corey almost looks frustrated. Um, Elizabeth Warren has no idea what's going on. She's just trying to figure out why she's even standing there. What's happening? We are hearing our colleagues' audio. I, if the control room can turn off the mics. This is live. Millions of people trying to figure out. You know, we prepared for yes. everything. Guess what, guys? We are going to take a quick break. We're going to get this technical uh, situation fixed. We will be right back. So that was um, that was that. So uh, anyway, that was kind of fun to watch them just kind of bomb uh, MSNBC bomb on that. Um, they did a horrible job, like I said before, allocating time. Um, they had a very clear bias on on who they were giving more time to. A lot of the candidates had close to no time, and I'll kind of go to, through the breakdown of like the time allotted for each candidate. And it is such a wide margin between like some of the heavy hitters and some of the other candidates. They almost practically ignore these debates were two hours long. And um, anyway, we'll get into the time breakdown in a little bit. But um, overall, like I said, the the, the debates were a little bit boring. It, it was kind of fun to watch them eat eat each other um, throughout their their debates. I, I mean, really, th- there was not a lot of um, shots taken at Donald Trump, which was Wow, really surprising. But um, they, they decided to eat each other instead. Um, high overview. Uh, my opinion on like who came out of this uh, two-day um, fiasco on top, who were the bigger winners, who were the biggest losers. So night number one, um, my biggest winners were Elizabeth Warren, kind of. She neither did much. Um, she didn't really do much the entire debate, but she didn't do anything to kind of like hurt herself. Uh, no one really attacked her either. The first night was very kind of cordial. They, they were all pretty nice to each other. Um, except for, uh, for Beto O'Rourke, which I'll get to him in a little bit. That dude got eight alive. They all just kind of picked Beto and, uh, tore him up. Anyway, night number one, Warren did well. Julian Castro, I thought did, um, did pretty well, uh, within the group. And then, uh, Tulsi Gabbard, um, absolutely did a great job for, the time she had to speak. She didn't have much time to speak, but when she did, um, it did make an impact. Night number two, Kamala Harris, Pete Buttigieg, and Andrew Yang um, were my top three of uh, that came out of that debate. But um, there was one solidified candidate that came out of this on top, no questions asked, was the clear like front runner, got the most out of these debates um, by far. And that candidate was Donald Trump. Um, Donald Trump absolutely came out of this on top. I, I don't know what to say. Like this, this whole thing was put on so poorly and they actually attacked each other more than they attacked Donald Trump. Like it was a clear win for Donald Trump. Both nights. No question. Um, biggest losers. Night number one, Beto O'Rourke. That dude is over. Beto's uh, campaign, done. That dude is absolutely done. He got torched night number one. Uh, night number two, Joe Biden. This is going to be interesting to watch and see what happens to uh, to Joe Biden because both of those guys, O'Rourke and Biden, got absolutely shredded 
um, during their debates, which with Joe Biden, that's that's not very surprising. Honestly, it's not surprising. Um, that dude hasn't really done anything in a presidential campaign ever in his career. I think this is his third one. He's the he's the clear front runner right now. But I, I think that dude is just going to dissipate and disappear. I don't know. Um, Kamala Harris definitely did the most to to take his um, to to take his votes away from him. Uh, I mean, that guy is just, he, he looked old. He sounded old. He sounded out of touch. He had trouble answering questions. He was getting pushed around during the debates. It was really, really bad. Same thing for Beto. And so I, I was like trying to come up with a way that I could kind of, uh, explain how bad of a night these two were having without having to go through clips of them just like falling on their face. Um, and I couldn't really find a quick way to do it. So I, I figured I would just show you. Um, so if you're not watching this, come watch the video on the, uh, the Facebook page to, to see how bad of a night they're uh, actually having. So let's take a look at this. So that was uh, Joe Biden and um, Beto O'Rourke's night right there in a nutshell. <laughs> it was it was really bad. Um, now, one of the most awkward series of events through the uh, through the entire debates was um, so much. It, it was it was such a bad, awkward series of events that it's already turned into an Internet meme. It's already taken Twitter by storm. Reddit. They're already using the faces of Beto O'Rourke, Elizabeth Warren. Cory Booker, this meme is just taken over. Um, several of the candidates decided to give their answers in Spanish. Um, and I mean, that sounds okay, but it was done in the most awkward and pandering way possible. Um, most notably, Beto O'Rourke um, answered some of his questions uh, in Spanish. And it was it, the polling on this has not been good. They actually did some polling. Many people saw this as an obvious pandering to the Latino vote. And many actual Latinos went to Twitter and called out Beto for his broken and seemingly rehearsed Spanish responses. So let's listen here um, as Beto is asked if he will support a 70% tax rate. Okay, so he's asked if he will support a 70% tax rate. And he randomly dodges the question and goes into a Spanish uh, just a Spanish rant while Booker and Warren look at him in just absolute bewilderment. So let's take a look at this. This economy has got to work for everyone. And right now we know that it isn't. And it's going to take all of us coming together to make sure that it does. Necesitamos incluir cada persona en el éxito de esta economía. Pero si queremos hacer eso, necesitamos incluir cada persona en nuestra democracia. Uh, cada, votar, <laughs> ca cada votante necesitamos la this representación. Is the, uh, this, hold on, let me rewind it here. This is, this, is the, uh, <laughs> this is the photo that's being used for the memes, like with Elizabeth Warren. Estamos, oh, right here. Elizabeth Warren and Cory Booker, just look at... <laughs> 
<laughs> Cory Booker, he's like, what are, what is going on? And Beto's like stuttering through his Spanish, like, listen to him try and struggle through this answer here. Persona en nuestra democracia. Uh, cada votar, ca cada votante necesitamos la representación y cada voz necesitamos escuchar. Right now, we have a system that favors those who can pay for access and outcomes. That's how you explain an economy that is rigged to corporations and to the very wealthiest. A $2 trillion tax cut that favored corporations while they were sitting on record piles <laughs> of cash and the very wealthiest in this He's country juggling. at a time of historic wealth inequality. A new democracy that is revived because we returned power to the people. No pacts, no gerrymandering, automatic and same-day voter registration to bring in more voters, and a new Voting Rights Act to get rid of the barriers that are in place now. That's how we each have a voice in our democracy and make this economy work for everybody. That, that's time, sir. I'll give you 10 seconds to answer if you want to answer the direct question, would you? That's time, sir. But I'll give you another 10 seconds if you actually want to answer the question I, t I told you, <laughs> which was a 70% tax rate. Here we go. You support a 70% individual marginal tax rate, yes, no, or pass? I would support a, a tax rate and a tax code that is fair to everyone. Tax capital 70%. at the same rate that you, you tax ordinary income. Take that corporate tax rate up nope. to 28%. Okay. You would generate okay. the revenues That's you time. need to pay for the programs we're talking about. That's time. Thank you. That's a dodge right there. Um, so, yeah, that was that was the beginning of the just spiral that Beto O'Rourke had that night. Um, there were several hot topics throughout both days of the debates. They were kind of centered on they had all the same topics. Each group did the same topics. It was uh, let me go to my notes here. Immigration. Um, health care and health insurance, abortion, guns, foreign policy, and of course, taxes. Um, so I want to kind of break down what I saw on, on those topics. We'll start with immigration first. So uh, Yulian Castro, the former housing and urban development secretary, um, challenged O'Rourke for refusing to repeal a law against unauthorized border crossings. He said, quote, I don't think it's asking too much for people to follow our laws when they come to this country, O'Rourke said. If we capture a known smuggler or drug trafficker, we're going to make sure that they are deported. But O'Rourke was very quiet as he was completely drowned out by Castro. Castro denounced O'Rourke's position, arguing that other laws prohibited trafficking, that the law in question was being used to separate families, and that the Democrats should stand up for undocumented immigrants in, ju in general, and not just asylum seekers. So let's take a look at this exchange right here. We would not turn back Valeria and her father, Oscar. We would accept them into this country and follow our own asylum laws. We would not build walls. We would not put kids in cages. In fact, we would spare well, no expense to reunite the families a lot of that have been families. separated already. And we would not criminally would prosecute any family because who is fleeing violence for the repeal and of persecution. We would make sure... Secretary, let him finish, and I will give you... His policy uh, but let him finish. Let him finish, please. Yes. We would not detain any family fleeing violence, in fact, fleeing the deadliest countries on the face of the planet today. 
we would implement a family case management program so they could be cared for in the community at a fraction of the cost, and then we would rewrite our immigration laws in our own image, free dreamers forever from any fear of deportation by making them U.S. citizens here in this country, invest in solutions in Central America, work with regional stakeholders so there's no reason to make Thank that 2,000-mile journey to but this we country. Have Secretary, I'll give you 30 seconds. Let's be very clear. The reason that they're separating these little children from their families is that they're using Section 1325 of that act, which criminalizes coming across the border, to incarcerate the, the parents and then separate them. Some of us on this stage have called to end that section, to terminate it. Some, like Congressman O'Rourke, have not. And I want to challenge all of the candidates In to fact. do that. I just think it's a mistake, Bethel. I think it's a mistake. And I think that, that if you truly want to change the system, then we got to repeal that section. If not, Thank you. then it so might as well be the same policy. Let, let me very respond to this very briefly. Since Actually, as a member of Congress, I helped to introduce legislation that would ensure that we don't criminalize those who are seeking asylum and refuge I'm in this country. If you're about, fleeing, if you're fleeing desperation, asylum. then I'm I want to make about, sure I'm I want to make sure that you're treated else. with respect. I'm still talking about everybody but, else. But you're looking at just one small part of this. I'm talking about a comprehensive rewrite of our immigration that's laws. That's not true. And if we do that, that's I don't think not, it's asking that's too much not for true. people I'm to talking follow about, our laws I'm talking about millions of folks. A lot of folks that are coming are not seeking asylum. A lot of them are undocumented immigrants, right? And you said recently that the reason you didn't want to repeal Section 1325 was because uh, you were concerned about human trafficking and, and drug trafficking. But let me tell you what, Section 18, uh, Title 18 of the U.S. Code, Title 21 and Title 22 already cover if human trafficking. I think that you should do your homework we're going on to this make issue. Sure that they are if you did your homework on this issue, you would know that we should repeal this section. Oh, if you did your homework on this issue. So O'Rourke... Um, O'Rourke looked weak early on and all the other candidates picked up on that. All the other candidates picked up on O'Rourke looking weak. Um, so man, there was blood in the water at that point. Um, and, uh, like I said, that was, that was the beginning of the end for Bader O'Rourke's campaign first night. Boy, what a way to, uh, completely bomb, huh? Um, night number two immigration, of course, comes up again. Um, and Joe Biden was called out in the most amazing fashion. The moderator tells uh, Joe Biden how how many people the Obama administration deported. He he listed the three three million number, which is how many they deported. Obama deported over three million people during his administration. He holds the record for people deported. Especially in a, in a single year, I think he deported close to 250, 60,000, somewhere around there. No president has even come close, including Trump, uh, on that number. So let's take a look. And uh, I want you to see, if, you, if you're not watching the video, it's going to be difficult here. But Joe Biden's face when he's told that his administration with the Obama administration, they deported over 3 million people. His face is just... Ooh. It was just fantastic. So let's take a look at this. Do not need a blanket. Do not need a toothbrush. That is outrageous. Vice President, the Obama-Biden administration was... The uh, Obama-Biden administration deported more than 3 million Americans. My question to you is if an individual... <laughs> I saw a... Um, 
someone took this and clipped his face and uh, they did a meme and it was just like that feeling when you you're told how many people you deported <laughs> on live TV. Look at Joe. He's like, I cannot believe that this dude just said that to me on this debate stage. Mr. Vice President, your administration deported 3 million people. Oh, my gosh. Americans. My question to you is if an individual is living in the United States of America without documents, and that is his only offense, should that person be deported? No. Depending if they committed a major crime. They should be deported. And the president was left in his... President Obama, I think, did a heck of a job. To compare him to what, what this guy's doing is absolutely, I find, close to immoral. But the fact is that, look, we should not be locking people up. We should be making sure we change the circumstance, as we did, why they would leave in the first place. And those who come seeking asylum, we should immediately have the capacity to absorb them, keep them safe until they can be heard. A 15-second, if you could, if you wish to answer. Should someone who is here without documents and that... So, there you have it. Joe Biden answering that question um, and being just completely flabbergasted and <laughs> listening to MSNBC talk about the Obama administration's deportations. I mean, my God, I didn't, that completely caught me off guard, much less Joe Biden. My goodness. Can't believe they did that. And I'm glad they did. That's one of the, one of the only things they did right throughout this entire thing. Um, so let's move on to the next one. Uh, this is going to be with healthcare. Um, so obviously we all knew that this was going to be a heavily debated topic throughout the two nights, especially since the Democratic Party is going towards this Medicare for all stuff. Some are, a few aren't, but most of the party is. So the the more this topic was uh, was talked about, it was obvious that the Democratic Party, like I said, moved extremely far left. Um, so much so that the candidates having any kind of moderate position, uh, with this topic were just immediately attacked. Um, so it, it was, um, it didn't look too bad during the first debate, uh, to be completely honest. Like I said, the first debate was kind of, uh, pretty cordial. Um, the second night was much more hostile. That was like, like I said, where all the big heavy hitters are. So they're kind of throwing haymakers at each other, trying to, uh, trying to, they were punching up for sure. So they, they were, uh, most of them were going after Joe Biden. Um, so <clears throat> it didn't look too bad, uh, during the first debate. So NBC's Lester Holt asked the candidates who here would abolish their pri- uh, private health insurance in favor of a government run plan. So he's asking, are you going to get rid of private insurance and move to a government-run healthcare system. So, with that question, only two candidates rose their hand. Um, That was Senator Elizabeth Warren and Bill de Blasio, the New York City mayor. Uh, Warren dismissed insurers as parasites. Excuse me. She said, the insurance companies last year alone sucked $23 billion in profits out of the healthcare system. 
Uh, meanwhile, Bill de Blasio attacked former uh, Representative Beto O'Rourke of Texas. Again, poor Beto. That dude got destroyed for defending private insurance. The O'Rourke de Blasio uh, exchange crystallized the debate between center and left. Um, so this article I'm reading from here isn't exactly, uh, they're calling Beto O'Rourke center, uh, left of center for sure. So definitely not center. Um, but it, it does, it, it is correct in, in displaying the kind of difference of the left of center candidates and the far left candidates like your Warrens and Bill de Blasio's. Um, like I said, you can't even be left of center with that party. You either have to be all the way or you're against them. Left of center is there's no room for left of center. Um, but the second group, the second night, like I said, that will show you how far these people actually go. And I'll show you a video here in just a second. Uh, the group was asked to raise their hand if their government plan, this would be Medicare for all, if their, if their government plan, Medicare for all, would actually provide cover for undocumented immigrants, meaning that your Medicare for all plan will cover illegal immigrants. So with that said, take a look at what happened when they're asked to raise their hands if they agree with that. Okay. With all a lot of you have that, been talking tonight about uh, these government health care plans that you've proposed in one form or another. This is a show of hands question, and, and hold them up for a moment so people can see. Raise your hand if, gover if your government plan would provide coverage for undocumented immigrants. Okay. Okay. Look at that. If you're not watching the video, every single one of those hands are raised. Not a single person on that platform doesn't have their hands raised. So, meaning... During the debates, we've seen them, uh, they're against criminalizing illegals crossing the border. Okay. So they're against deportation as well. So these people are just going to stay. So what they're saying is if they cross the border, it's not a crime to cross the border. In fact, we're against deportation. These people want to be in the country. So we're just going to let them be in the country. Okay. So that's their position. And the taxpayers who are going to be sucked completely dry with free college, free health care, free housing, free government subsidized jobs, those taxpayers are then going to have to foot the bill for an unlimited amount of people outside of the country for their health care. So not only are you essentially, and they're not saying, and they won't utter the words open borders, but that's essentially what they're doing is they're, they're decriminalizing crossing the border. They want to provide a way to keep the people that cross the border. They're against deportation. So they want to keep them in the country. And then once they get in the country, they want to provide them with free health care. And who's going to fit the bill for all of that. Everybody's going to fit the bill for all of that. So an unbelievable, unbelievable position to, to make. And, uh, I, I mean, I, I knew who was going to be on that stage and I was watching the debate and I saw that in real time and I saw every single one of them raise their hand for that. I was like, holy crap.
I mean, even for that group to say that your plan would cover illegal immigrants after just discussing that you don't want to criminalize people coming over the border. You don't want to send them away. You want to keep them here. Those two things cannot coexist. So Trump immediately uh, took advantage of this ridiculous, unbelievable stance. So Donald Trump in Trumpian fashion went to Twitter, of course, and he said, all Democrats just raised their hands for giving millions of illegal aliens unlimited health care. How about taking care of American citizens first? That's the end of that race. So pure Trump fashion right there, taking a jab, taking a win, an easy win when he can. And that is an easy win for Donald Trump. And I mean, of course, it's it's the right answer. So how can a system that can't even take care of its own people take care of an, a virtually, virtually unlimited group of people? This is my opinion on the issue. Um, you're free to disagree. Okay. This is just the way I see it. Uh, like I said before, these two things are absolutely incompatible. You can't have both. So you are either open the border up to more immigrants and more immigration. You open it up um, and you eliminate the welfare state. So that means that includes eliminating the free universal health care, eliminating the welfare state overall. So you eliminate the free benefits or you have all of these free benefits Provided to you at the cost of insane tax hikes on the population with little to no immigration. With the way this system works right now, you cannot have both. You have to either do one or the other. You either get taxed to death for all of these free things. And you close down the border. Or. You open the border up, allow more free immigration. Um, I, I kind of lean towards more of like an Ellis Island type model uh, myself with like the abolishment of the welfare state, opening up free markets to increase competition uh, within the healthcare industry, which would increase quality, lower prices overall, all that good stuff. It's just a mess, man. Like, I can't believe that. that people actually don't think these things through. So none of these things are actually free. They have to be paid for. Um, and you can't just declare random things, rights. I don't know. Uh, polling data on Medicare for all is actually pretty interesting. Um, if the question is asked, quote, are you favorable for a medical Medicare for all plan? Uh, the polls that I've seen, Um, there's a, there's a majority of people that say, yes, they are favorable to the idea, which is kind of scary because it kind of shows that they don't really understand the question. And the reason they don't understand the question or how I know they don't understand it is because if it's asked this way, if they're asked, would you be favorable for Medicare for all? If it increases your taxes, that favorable number goes way down. And that's the thing. People think that they can get this passed and they don't have to pay any more taxes because these people are saying that you'll tax the rich and they'll pay for it. Well, what happens, just a wild idea, 
if the uh, rich people don't want to be taxed 70 to 80 percent. Turns out rich people are really, really good at just picking up and moving somewhere else. They got the money to just fly, buy a house in another country, and make their money there. Cheaper taxes, they get to keep most of it. So what happens when they leave? You don't have the rich people to foot the bill anymore, and guess where it goes? Lower and middle class. So... On to the next topic. Abortion. Uh, this was a uh, th- this was a frustrating one here. I already kind of knew where all of these people stood. Uh, no candidate on stage, including Tim Ryan of Ohio, a former pro-lifer, said anything negative about abortion or public funding of abortions. <clears throat> when Elizabeth Warren was asked whether she would, quote, put limits on abortion... Uh, She completely dodged the question, which means yes, or uh, which means no, she would not put limits on abortion. She completely ignored that part of the question. So no, she wouldn't put limits on abortion. She instead pledged to, quote, make certain that every woman has access to the full range of reproductive health care services. And that includes birth control. And it includes abortion. It includes everything, she says. Oh, it includes everything. All right. Ugh. Uh, Washington Governor Jay Inslee went further, declaring that private insurers should be barred from refusing for uh, refusing to cover abortions. It should not be an option in the United States of America, he said, for insurance company to deny a woman's coverage for their exercise of their right of choice. Um, Moving on to guns, of course, the gun issue. Um, this was brought up for a little bit as well, which you saw at the first clip I played with the, um, the technical issues that MSNBC was having. She was asking about, uh, guns. He was bringing up Parkland, Parkland, Florida. So on this issue, the candidates, um, stopped well short of what, uh, progressives wanted, um, which was pretty interesting progressives wants uh the progressive group really kind of wanted to from what i saw on twitter or whatever they were attacking some of the candidates for not being aggressive enough on guns um so that was pretty interesting because they were severely aggressive from my point of view so uh senator cory booker of new jersey called for uh, a gun registration So he said, quote, if you need a license to drive a car, you should need a license to buy a gun and own a firearm. Well, I mean, you have to go through an FBI background check to get a firearm and a gun. You don't have to get an FBI background check to buy a car. And a car isn't a fundamental human right. The like life preservation of life and, 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 the right to defend yourself. That is a human right. I I hate when people bring up this comparison to buying a car, to buying a gun for your own safety. Uh, Everybody kind of uh, stuck to their own individual restrictions, such as background checks and limits on assault weapons. Amy Klobuchar uh, shied away from any law that would quote, Hurt, hurt my uncle Dick and in his deer stand 
coming from a proud hunting and fishing state? It was uh, it was an interesting question. I tried to find it. I couldn't really find it there, but online to play a video. But she was like, she was asked about her restrictions. She was like, well, uh, anyone, any, uh, you know, law that would hurt my uncle and his deer stand and take away his right to hunt, I'm not really for. Like, okay, so can you expand on that a little bit? Doesn't really make sense. Uh, even Warren hedged opposing across-the-board laws and calling for research to find out what really works. However, oh, here we go, guys. You ready? All right, however, Eric Swalwell... Now, this is someone we uh, haven't talked about yet. It, well, I, I talked about him being like a legitimate reincarnate of a plastic Ken doll that's come to life like Chucky. Um, so this guy did voice his plan um, for a gun ban and a mandatory government gun buyback. So if you haven't heard, Eric Swalwell, this is the guy who said on Twitter that standing against the government in a conflict is a bad idea because, quote, the government has nukes. Yeah, so uh, essentially he was pointing to the idea that the government would nuke its own people to stay in power. Wow, thanks, Eric Swalwell. Thank you. That guy wants a mandatory gun buyback program. That guy. Mandatory, meaning confiscation. Meaning... If you don't give us your guns, we'll send uh, people to your house with guns. And if you don't comply with their demands, they'll kill you. That's Congressman Eric Swalwell. Uh, If you don't believe me, here. Here's a a Snopes article right here. I'll give you a left-wing fact check real quick. Did Democrat Republic, uh, Representative Eric Swalwell suggest nuking gun owners who resist confiscation? What's the rating? Mixture! If the question is, did Representative anybody suggest nuking gun owners who would resist confiscation, if that rating is not a just no right off the board, if this is a mixture, which it's not, What's true? In a tweet on 16th of November, Swalwell responded to a gun rights enthusiast who said the Democrats' proposal to confiscate or buy back semi-automatic rifles would result in war due to resistance from gun owners stating that it would be a short war because the government has nukes. What's false? Swalwell quickly insisted that his reference to the government possession of nuclear weapons was intended as no more than a joke and emphasized that he was not warning gun owners about such a response to their resistance to gun confiscation. That's not false. He just said he was joking. That's no, you can't look. Here's the tweet right here. So basically representative Swalwell wants a war because that's what you will, you would get. You're out of your effing mind if you think I'll give up my rights and give the government all that power. Representative Swalwell. And it would be a short war, my friend. The government has nukes. Too many of them. But they're legit. I'm sure if we talked, we could find common ground and protect our families and communities. 
It would be a short war because the government has nukes. All right. So that guy seems reasonable. Very reasonable. I'm moving on. Uh, let me see where we're at here. What's my time? Okay. I got time. Good deal. All right. So moving on foreign policy, uh, several candidates proclaimed connections to the, uh, military. So, uh, Tulsi Gabbard of Hawaii, um, Bill de Blasio, Cory Booker, Klobuchar, and Elizabeth Warren through her brothers. This lady's just claiming everything, you know. Um, said they would, uh, all of those said that they would negotiate um, tougher restrictions in a revised nuclear deal with Iran. But only one candidate, Ryan, uh, Till, Tim Ryan, only one candidate, Tim Ryan, stood up for troop deployments. He argued for continued presence in Afghanistan. Think of being that guy who takes the stance on saying, you know what? This war has been going on for nearly 20 years. You know what we need to keep doing? The same thing. Let's not get out. It's definitely working. It looks great now. Have you seen Afghanistan? Have you seen Iraq? Man. So, this was one of my favorite moments throughout both days. Tim Ryan starts standing up for troop deployments in Afghanistan and Iraq and in the Middle East. And he starts making suggestions that we have to be engaged over there. And this is when Tulsi Gabbard just absolutely rips Tim Ryan. Take a look at this. This was, man, this was good. Today, the Taliban claimed responsibility for killing two American service members in Afghanistan. Uh, Leaders as... See, that's the thing, too. Like, this question, the only reason this question came up... I, I don't know if they would have asked a question like this if this didn't just happen. Two service members just got killed in, in Afghanistan. And for what? For what? Why are people still over there? Why are guys still dying? Are people dying over there? For what? And then this dude is going to say we need to deploy more troops over there. Anyway, I'll let this play disparate as President Obama and President Trump have both said that they want to end U.S. involvement in Afghanistan, but it isn't over for America. Why isn't it over? Why can't presidents of very different parties and very different temperaments get us out of there? And how could you? I appreciate that. Well, it's almost like every party has tried it. The Democrats, the Republicans, boy, they've all tried war, this regime change war. And man, we've been over there for nearly 20 years and nothing's working. What would you suggest we do? Well, how about we try the same thing that we've been doing the last 20 years? Question. So I've, I've been in Congress 17 years. And 12 of those years, I've sat on the Armed Services Committee, either the Defense Appropriations Committee or the Armed Services Committee. And the lesson that I've learned over the years is that you have to stay engaged in these situations. Nobody likes it. It's long. It's tedious. 
But right now we have, so I would say we must be engaged in this. We must have our State Department engaged. We must have our military engaged to the, to the extent they need to be. But the reality of it is this president doesn't even have people appointed in the State Department to deal with these things. Whether we're talking about Central America, whether we're talking about Iran, whether we're talking about Afghanistan, we've to be in Central to be America too. Engaged. And here's why. Because these flare-ups distract us from the real problems in the country. If we're if getting a drone shot down for $130 million because the president is distracted, that's $130 million that we could be spending in places like Youngstown, Ohio, or Flint, Michigan, or, re or rebuilding. Congresswoman or rebuilding. I'm going to give you 30 seconds, actually, to is jump off what he what said. He described will, is engagement that what you as the will tell Here she goes. the parents of those two soldiers who were just killed in Afghanistan? Well, we just have to be engaged. As a soldier, I will tell you, that answer is unacceptable. We have to bring our troops home from Afghanistan. We are in a place in Afghanistan where we have lost so many lives. We've spent so much money, money that's coming out of every one of our pockets, money that should be going into communities here at home, meeting the needs of the people here at home. We are no better off in Afghanistan today than we were when this war began. This is why it's so important to have a president and commander in chief who knows the cost of war and who's ready to do the job on day one. I am ready to do that job when I walk into the Oval Office. Thank you very much. Listen, I'm going to go down the line. I'm going to go down the, I'm going to go down the line. I'm going to go down the line here. Well, you know what? You felt, you felt like she was responding. You get 30 seconds. Go. Fair enough. I appreciate that. I hear what you're saying. I would just say, I don't want to be, I don't want to be engaged. I wish we were spending all this money in places that I've represented that have been completely forgotten and we were rebuilding. But the reality of it is, if the United States isn't engaged, the Taliban will grow and they will have bigger, bolder terrorist acts. We have got to have some present there. As, the the as Taliban was Iraq. there long before we came in. They'll yeah, be and they there were, long yeah. before That's right. we came well, We cannot they keep U.S. And troops deployed to Afghanistan thinking that we're going to somehow squash this Taliban that has been say, there that every other country that's them. tried I didn't say squash them. When we weren't in there, they started flying planes into our buildings. So I'm just saying right now, the we Taliban have The Taliban didn't attack us on 9-11. Al-Qaeda did. Well, Al-Qaeda attacked us on 9-11. That's why. I and so I many other people joined the military to go I after Al-Qaeda, not the Taliban. The Taliban, the Taliban ahead, up was protecting those people who were plotting against us. All I'm saying is, if we want to go in to elections and we want to say that we got to withdraw from the world, that's what President Trump is saying. We okay. can't. I would love you know for us to. You know, we can't, you know, you got people crazy like Donald Trump saying we need to get out of these wars and pull troops back. Donald Trump is saying that. So we can't do what Donald Trump wants to do. No, we got to keep these wars going. We got to go even more. We got to send more troops over there, more troop deployments, more war. That's the answer. Boy, this Tim Ryan and this this like sparring match between him and it's not really a sparring match. Man, Tulsi Gabbard is just destroying him. Look at his face right here where I pause. Like he's scared to death. Tulsi's about to talk some more. He's like, please. Tulsi's just like, I'm about to end this man's whole career. Watch me go. What a joke this guy is. Al Qaeda right now. I want to go down. Saudi Arabia. Do you hear that? Hold on. Listen to this. Us. All I'm saying is, if we want to go in to elections and we want to say that we got to withdraw from the world, that's what 
President Trump is saying. We okay. can't. I would love you know for us to. protecting right. al-Qaeda right now in go Saudi down. Arabia? Oh, the truth. The absolute truth. You know who's protecting al-Qaeda right now? Saudi Arabia. And I've said it on this show before. We're, we're our greatest ally, Saudi Arabia. Guess who there's funding and arming? They are funding and arming al-Qaeda, and our government knows it. Al-Qaeda is the group that did 9-11. And we're funding and arming Saudi Arabia, who's supporting them. Unbelievable. And this guy, Tim Ryan is done, dude. That was a roast for the ages. I really do like this Tulsi Gabbard. Her, her top priority on her campaign was to end foreign wars and conflict, which is very similar to what Trump ran on. Um, and she absolutely nails it, man. And she, she nails Tim Ryan on this and she's nailed this issue for her whole campaign so far. I've really enjoyed listening uh, to her talk about that specific issue, but it really is. It's too bad that her domestic policy is just complete garbage. She's, she's a uh, pretty bad on domestic policy, but man, her foreign policy is really, really good. She's on the right side of the right things. Um, going on, uh, the last, uh, topic we'll talk about is taxes. <clears throat> so, uh, Amy Klobuchar argued for limits on government funded benefits while offering to quote, make community college free. So there you go. You know, we got to have limits, but college eliminating that $2 trillion of student loan debt, giving free college to everybody. That's not past those government limits. You know, we just, we got to keep the government reined in a little bit on the spending, but We'll, we'll go with that. And to give financial aid to everyone except the top percentile. Of course, everybody. She objected to universal free college. I, I don't even know what that means. Uh, oh, make community college free. It, it's already super cheap. I, I don't know what you want. I do get concerned about paying for uh, college for rich kids, she said. Oh, you mean eliminating the student debt? That's what you mean. That's what that means, by the way. Like, who do you think who do you think gets hurt more by eliminating the student loan debt? The privileged middle to high class kids that can actually afford those student loans and actually get jobs to start paying off those loans? Those are privileged individuals that actually went to good colleges. That's the loans that you're going to be paying off. Who's going to be foot for the bill for that? The lower class kids, the poor kids that aren't in college and aren't getting a higher education because it's too expensive. You're going to throw their taxes. They're going to be paying for your ability to go to college. Nobody calls them out on that BS. Uh, the other candidates, however, largely competed to promise more spending. Quote, this is supposed to be the party of working people, said Bill de Blasio. We're supposed to be for a 70% tax on the wealthy. Yes, we're supposed to be for free health care, free public college. There's plenty of money in this country. It's just in the wrong hands. Free this, free that, free this, free that. People keep using that word free. Got a very good arms. He didn't fall! Inconceivable! You keep using the word. 
I don't think it means what you think it means. <laughs> you keep using that word. I don't think you know what that means. Free, 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 free. Free is not actually free. In short, guess what? Everybody, not just the rich, everybody's going to be paying more, much, much more in taxes. So, as we start to wrap up, this is our last, last section here. I know I'm trying to uh, see what my time is at now. Oh, boy. I know I'm probably going to go over. Uh, no, I actually might. I'll go a little bit over. That's fine. Um, I want to quickly go over how the candidates uh, look after these debates. And to to get a accurate... Um, what did I just say? Accurate? Accurate. Accurate? I can't talk. What's up with me? To get a uh, better representation of this... Let's take a look at the speaking time that each candidate was allotted. So here, this is the Washington Post, um, and they did a pretty good breakdown of who talked the most during the Democratic debate. Excuse me. So it starts off here. Ten Democratic candidates faced off in the second night for the first presidential debate Thursday evening. The four highest polling candidates on stage dominated discussion, while the other six fought for airtime. Former Vice President Joe Biden, who faced the most attacks from fellow candidates, walked away with the highest speaking time, Biden, with 13.6 minutes, the top polling candidate among uh, coming into the debate, spoke more than four times as long as the former tech entrepreneur, Andrew Yang, who only had three minutes. This is a two hour debate, and they gave Andrew Yang three minutes. Last night, the difference between the candidates with the most and least speaking time was half as big. 10.9 minutes for Senator Cory Booker versus five minutes for Washington Governor Jay Inslee. Meaning, the, the, the moderating was terrible the first night, but it was a hell of a lot better than it was the second night. So, let's take a look at this chart. If you're listening to the audio podcast, I'll, I'll kind of run quickly through this. This is total minutes spoken across both nights. Okay, so this is both groups here. Biden, 13.6 minutes. Harris, 11.9. Sanders, 11. Booker, 10.9. Buttigieg, 10.5. O'Rourke, 10.3. Elizabeth Warren, 9.3. Julian Castro, 8.8. Klobuchar, 8.5. Bennett, 8.1. Ryan, 7.7. That dude got seven minutes. That dude got seven minutes. Are you freaking kidding me? Gillibrand, 7.5. Tulsi Gabbard, 6.6. They only gave her six and a half minutes. Delaney, 6.6. De Blasio, 5.6. Hickenlooper, 5.2. Inslee, 5. Williamson, 5. Swalwell, 4.3. And last, but certainly not least, Andrew Yang at a whopping three total minutes of talking time. Look at that right there. That is unbelievable. Unbelievable job, MSNBC. 
Great job. Great moderating. Look at the spread right there. Wow, you really can't tell that they, they got the heavy hitters, the ones talking the most, huh? This was one of the most frustrating parts of listening to this stupid thing. Now, I had, I had two candidates that I was going for, uh, kind of partially rooting for. Um, in Wednesday's debate, it was Tulsi Gabbard, and on Thursdays, it was Andrew Yang. Now, obviously, I don't agree with them on everything that they stand for. I actually disagree with them on quite a bit. Um, that being said, I believe they are far and away the best two candidates on the field. Those two, I believe, in my own opinion, are the best two candidates on that field by far, by far. In a two hour debate, Tulsi Gabbard only got six and a half minutes of talking time. And Andrew Yang got an unbelievable three total minutes. So this just shows you how horrible of a job MSNBC did on moderating these debates. And it also shows an extremely clear bias. Andrew Yang even came out saying that his microphone was muted at times. He attempted to get a word or response into a topic, but his mic would not be on. Here's a video right here of Andrew Yang. This is a moment where it's pretty clear that Andrew Yang tries to talk. Now, this is going to be difficult for the audio podcast because obviously you can't hear him. But in the video, he clearly is trying to talk. Joe Biden looks over at him because he hears him. But the people watching, like the microphone is not on. Take a look at this. We expose him for the fraud that he is. Look, there he is. He's trying to talk. Raising his hand. Right here. He's talking. He's talking. Let's play it one more time. He's raising his hand. He's talking. He's trying to get in. perspectives look at him that is something else isn't it my god man oh man so that just shows you how horrible of a job msnbc did they can't even get the dude's mic on they had three minutes of talking time Uh, Anyway, moving on, Tulsi Gabbard surprised everybody. She topped the polls as the runaway winner for uh, the uh, first Democratic debate. Take a look at this. The Drudge Poll. Drudge Poll shock. Tulsi Gabbard, runaway winner for first Democratic debate. This is the polls here. Tulsi Gabbard with a 34.65% of the vote, 12,000 votes. The only person behind her. Elizabeth Warren with 13.48, 4,700 votes. A clear heavy-handed winner in the Drudge bit, uh, in the, uh, the Drudge poll. Take a look at this. Washington Examiner poll. Tulsi Gabbard on top, 34.15. Elizabeth Warren at 23.06. Although unscientific, the two polls indicated that Hawaii Congresswoman of 38 years old who had attracted attention for her silver-streaked hair in denunciation of President Donald Trump's chicken hawk cabinet, had made a major impact on the nine-candidate stage. 
an Iraq war veteran. She served the Hawaii Army National Guard, and she was also deployed to Kuwait from 2008 to 2009. In her January 2019 campaign kickoff, Gabbard promised to end regime change wars and to only authorize war on direct enemies of the United States. In the debate, she promised to end America's war, saying, quote, this insanity must end. Okay. So she topped the polls in Internet favorite. Very clearly a favorite. Um, Tucker Carlson actually had her on to talk about um, her performance during the debate and the clear bias that she had to go through with only six and a half minutes of talking time with her uh, other colleagues on stage getting much more than that. Um, So let's take a listen to this here. Welcome back from Kyoto, Japan, the old imperial capital for more than a thousand years and an awfully, awfully pretty place. Final preparations are underway about 25 miles from here in Osaka for tomorrow's G20 summit of world leaders. The president will be there. We'll be interviewing him. Back in America, though, the 2020 election will be the first election in which children born after 9-11 will be able to vote, which is bewildering to those of us who live through it. During last night's debate, Congressman Tim Ryan of Ohio said it's America's duty to keep fighting in Afghanistan for some reason, 18 years after we toppled the Taliban. That turned out to be a mistake. Tulsi Gabbard, the only veteran on stage, corrected him. Watch this. Is Engagement that what you will tell the parents of those two soldiers who were just killed in Afghanistan? Well, we just have to be engaged. As a soldier, I will tell you, that answer is unacceptable. We have to bring our troops home from Afghanistan. We are in a place in Afghanistan where we have lost so many lives. We've spent so much money, money that's coming out of every one of our pockets, money that should be going into communities here at home, meeting the needs of the people here at home. We are no better off in Afghanistan today than we were when this war began. All obvious points, none of which you're allowed to say out loud in Washington. Now they make Congresswoman Tulsi Gabbard seem like basically an untouchable. She is not allowed to get the kind of coverage that the rest of the Democratic candidates get. Right. But the viewers loved it. At the debate, Gabbard's was the most searched name online. Tulsi Gabbard of Hawaii joins us tonight. Aloha, Congresswoman Hello, Tucker. So I, I couldn't help but notice, and I'm sure you don't want to play the victim in this, but that you had, despite the fact that you won a number of online polls, you had the most Google searches, uh, your name after the debate, you got some of the fewest minutes to speak of any of the 10 candidates on stage, and you were the only one who was essentially attacked personally by the moderators. Why do you think that was? Mm, I wonder why. Uh, look, it, it shows that there's a clear bias in place. I made the most of every minute that I had, wish I had the opportunity to have more time to address these important issues. Uh, But I want to just point out something from that clip that you played that I think is really important, where we hear a lot of politicians say uh, this same argument that, well, we've got to stay engaged in the world, otherwise we'll be isolationists, as though the only way the United States can engage with other countries is by blowing them up or (laughs) strangling them with economic sanctions by smashing them and trying to overthrow their governments. This is exactly what's wrong with this whole premise and the whole view with which 
too many politicians, too many leaders in this country uh, are viewing the United States' role in the world. How about the United States be a leader in the world, work out differences and, and build relationships with negotiations and diplomacy and finding common interests and seeing how we can work together so that we can stop sending our men and women in uniform into harm's way, serving in missions that do not serve the interests of the American people, that make our country less safe and actually end up causing more harm and more damage to the people in the countries where we wage these wasteful right. regime change wars. That's the kind of change in leadership that I'm seeking so, to bring as president. You just mentioned sanctions. You're not questioning the ironclad bipartisan consensus in Washington that sanctions against Iran are morally righteous and can never be withdrawn, are you? I am, absolutely. I think this is one of the things that is leading us closer and closer uh, to a war with Iran, a war that would be far more devastating than anything that we saw in the war in Iraq. I served in Iraq in 2005 in a medical unit, and this was the height of the Iraq war. There were lots of American casualties almost every day, and I was confronted with that high, terrible human cost of war. A war with Iran would make that war with Iraq look like a picnic. Uh, escalating these crippling sanctions, uh, withdrawing from the Iran nuclear deal, designating Iran's military uh, as a terrorist organization, something us unprecedented, uh, and continuing to deploy more and more U.S. troops. Uh, the neocons in the Trump administration uh, and Saudi Arabia and Netanyahu have created a situation where it's going to be very difficult for President Trump to avoid a war with Iran. They have built all the building blocks, placed the dynamite, and lit the fuse, and it's going to be up to Donald Trump and his leadership whether or not he is going to cut that fuse and say, hey, we need to get back on track. She's absolutely right. American people in our country first and avoid a war with Iran, get back into that Iran nuclear agreement. This is why the neocons hate you more than anybody. <laughs> more than anybody. They're writing pieces about you right now. But you know what? Congresswoman Tulsi Gabbard, you know, nice, you know, to Tucker, you, you, yeah. nice to see you Yes. Nice to see you. As you pointed out really quick, this is an issue that uh, conservatives, Republicans, Democrats, progressives, this is a, an issue yeah, that uh, transcends party lines. And I think that's where that's the right. leadership I bring uh, brings the opportunity to unify the country, to make this kind of change that's important to every single American in this country. That's exactly right. There's nothing partisan in the slightest about this at all. Um, exactly. And th that's why it's such it's so nice to hear someone say that out loud. Congressman, thank you very much. Thanks, Tucker. Wow, she absolutely nails that. Absolutely nails it. So uh, I know I'm running out of time here. So let's go quickly. The first Democratic debate in five charts. I'm not going to go over all these charts, but I kind of want to do like a top-down approach of how these um, candidates um, performed overall throughout the two debates. And 538 here had a pretty interesting um, chart here. Who overperformed? Who underperformed? Um, going into the debate, Senator Elizabeth Warren and Kamala Harris both had favorability ratings more than 50% among likely Democrat voters. And after their respective debates, they came out even stronger. So there you have it. Warren and Kamala Harris both um, overperformed. They did really well. 
Um, the debates were also uh, big for some lesser known candidates, such as former housing and urban development uh, secretary, Julian Castro. He went into the debates with a favorability rating just under 30% and responders uh, rated his debate performance as highly uh, rated his debate performance highly, which suggests that it's more than just his existing fans who thought he did well. Senator Cory Booker also had a strong performance, but the two candidates currently leading in the polls, Senator Bernie Sanders and former Vice President Joe Biden, both underperformed. So here you have um, this is the trend line and you can see who overperformed here and who underperformed. And boy, Beto, he uh, he underperformed pretty badly. Who's gaining followers? After the first night of debates, Castro was the one to watch, at least on Twitter. He had gained more than 50,000 followers by Thursday afternoon. Big bump from Castro. But following Thursday night's debate, Harris gained nearly 60,000 new followers, with the most new followers acquired, <clears throat> which was the most new followers acquired by any of the Democratic candidates between the day of their debates and the following afternoon. This might not come as a surprise, as Harris had partic had a particularly powerful moment when she called out Biden for his remarks about working with segregationist senators and opposition his opposition to school integration via busing in the 1970s, saying the issue affected her personally. And I didn't go into that because that was a very long exchange between those two, but that was just one of the many moments that Joden got uh Joe I just said Joden Joe Joe Biden. Um, got beat on pretty badly there. So here's the the uh, the chart for who gained the most Twitter followers. So it went Harris, Castro, Buttigieg, Yang, Williamson, Warren, Gabbard, and Booker in the top eight. Um, yeah. So there you have it. I mean, what do I think uh, going forward? I think, man, I don't know if. Um, I don't know. I think Joe Biden's going to fizzle out. I, I thought he was going to fizzle out as soon as this debate started and man, he didn't perform very well at all. This is a wide open race to be honest. And Kamala Harris just had a huge bump after all of this. But, um, yeah, that's about all I got for you. I know that was a lot of information, but I wanted to break it down for you. I watched both debates, so I wanted to give you my thoughts and Hey, that's why you guys listen to the show. Apparently you think, uh, you think I'm either fun to listen to or you just like making fun of me while you're listening to me, whatever, or you value my opinion. I don't, I don't, I don't know why you listen to this, but I'm grateful that you do. Um, anyway, this is, uh, all I've got for you today. Be sure to go on Facebook, check out the video, uh, format. Let me know what you think. If there's any, uh, any critiques or anything, any changes that you would, uh, want to have on the show, feel free to let me know. I value, uh, I value critiques and, uh, criticism, um, as well as if you have any topics or if you want to come on the show, feel free to let me know, message us on Facebook. Um, if you haven't already, be sure to subscribe to us on, uh, Apple podcast and Spotify, and, uh, we'll see you on the next episode of freedom strips. See everybody.